Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 520. <laughs> I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine C. That sounds like a spooky. spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine, I saw your post about your updated movie list of the movies you hadn't seen before in Halloween season. What have you liked a lot so far? So first of all, I will say Muppet Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. is so cute. It's on Disney+. Plus. It just came out this past weekend. I'm so obsessed with it. It's really adorable. Wonderful comfort watch. I did just watch Fear Street, which is the trilogy on Netflix. It takes place in like 1994. So I was like, oh, yeah, take Mm -hmm. me back, baby. We did watch The Muppets Haunted Mansion, which was great. And we watched it with Catherine, all three of us together. And she was like really excited because she saw Kermit and she had a great time with it. We're in the midst of doing a full Michael Myers Halloween rewatch or watch really because i'd only seen the first and the second one and obviously halloween 3 is the greatest halloween movie ever made but it doesn't have michael myers well that has been this week in halloween movies (laughs) we'll see you next week Ah, see you later suckers oh but this is very appropriate because later on in the episode we're going to have editor-in-chief phil noble jr as well as digital editor angel melanson from the wonderful Fangoria magazine that if you guys have not read is a wonderful quarterly magazine. We'll get into it. But if you love all things horror, baby, that is the place. It's so fun. For sure. That's going to be a little bit later in the show. But right now we're going to dive into This Week in Marvel, which is the show we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, and anything we are excited about. There's a lot going on this week, but in less than two weeks, we have the release of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy video game. Two weeks from now, we've got Halloween coming up. It is it is a good time. Oons, 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 oons. Also a good time. Tickets are now available for Marvel Studios Eternals. Yay! It's very exciting. I can't believe it's already here. We're just having so many series and films. It's a wonderful time to be a Marvel fan. And right now there's a new featurette and there's also some new posters over on Marvel.com for Marvel Studios Eternals. And the featurette is really cool. It has Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige, director Chloe Zhao, producer Nate Moore, as well as the actors from the film Gemma Chan, Selma Hayek, Kumail Nanjiati, and Angelina Jolie. Just awesome and a really cool look at the film. They get into some stuff that people have been asking questions about Mm -hmm. with the sort of like, where does the film sit, which is pretty cool. So definitely go check those out on Marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel. Check out those posters. And uh, go get your tickets. You don't want to be without a seat when the film comes only to theaters on November 5th. And of course, a wonderful treat is ahead on Monday, October 18th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. You can tune in to watch the live from Hollywood experience of the red carpet for Marvel Studios Eternals by tuning into marvel.com slash Eternals premiere or watching it live on the Marvel YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, or Twitch. These are always so fun to be a part of. Definitely go check those out. Follow along. They're just a blast. There's also like set visit reports and and a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff on marvel.com around Mm -hmm. Marvel Studios Eternals. So if you want to dig deep into what's coming for the movie, we got you covered. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to relax your eyes, though, but get them ears a good workout, make sure you're listening to Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye because Chapter 3, School's Out, 
is now available. And in this episode, Clint finally agrees to teach Ash how to fight because you got the news of King Zemo's visit to the circus. Clint has got to get busy. He begins to plot his ultimate revenge against Zemo. Here's a clip of the show. Shut up. That's what you need. That's what's going to drive you, what's going to send that arrow to its target. Please, just shut up. Now focus all your energy, focus all that feeling, all that hurt and anger and hate and pain. Focus it into the point of the arrow. Focus it all the way down and shoot me. No! Clint! No! All right, of course, listen to Marvel's Wastelanders Hawkeye exclusively on the SiriusXM app or by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and, of course, coming soon everywhere. You can learn more about this at SiriusXM.com slash Wastelanders. Yeah. Also, October is Meet the Blind Month and... Today, Friday the 15th, if you're listening it to this the day it comes out, <laughs> is White Cane Day. And we got an email from a listener about this. So I think we should dial up our friendly neighborhood daredevil writer, Chip Zdarsky. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop. Chip Zdarsky's phone. Ring, 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 ring. Chip's phone. Ring, 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 ring. Chip Zdarsky's phone. <coughs> what? Who is it? Chip, don't worry. It's not your editor. It's just Lorraine and Ryan. Uh, but you know the editor, so it's still a problem. <laughs> I do. I, I, we're going to be reporting to them after this. But right now, we have something very specific and fun to talk with you about because we had a really great email from one of our listeners, Jenny. Lorraine, what was that email? She said, hello, Agent M and Lorraine. I really enjoyed the podcast so far. I love your upbeat attitude and all your interviews. Since October is just around the corner, I just wanted to get this out. Could you do one story around October featuring Daredevil? It is Meet the Blind Month to focus on the non-sighted. Also, White Cane Day falls on a Friday this year on October 15th. Daredevil has been an inspiration to me ever since I read my first comic in 1994 with very little sight. I was amazed there was a blind superhero out there. Thanks again. What we wanted to do is just give a shout out to our pal Jenny, who who loves the show and, and loves Daredevil yeah. and, you know, is very excited that we have a superhero like Daredevil. I mean, it's we have a lot of characters here at Marvel that mean a lot to a lot of people. What does it mean for you to write a character like Daredevil that means so much to people? It's intimidating. I mean, it, it's intimidating on a lot of levels. Like, one, I do recognize the fact that the character means a lot to both readers who are visually impaired or have people in their lives who are visually impaired, but also to all the lawyers out there. <laughs> like, it's just so great for lawyers to be represented in comics in, uh, in a positive light. So, yeah, so I, I take that really seriously. And also just the, there's like a pedigree with the creators in the history of the comic as well, which is also intimidating. Really, it's a stupid book to write. I probably shouldn't have done it. I just set myself up for failure. <laughs> Chip. Look, I'm Canadian. I'm I'm a sad Canadian man, and I'm going to apologize even if things are going well. well things are going. Unfortunately, very well. you continue to be wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are nothing but lies because you are, in fact, the best. Let's talk about what's coming in the future, which is probably your past, because that's how comics work. But what should people be anticipating for Devil's Reign, and what to look forward to? Well, it's really hard to get into it without spoilers. We have uh, an extra-sized issue 36 of Daredevil coming up, which uh, is going to see Wilson Fisk um, happier than he's ever been before, a.k.a. the Kingpin. 
But then something goes wrong, because something always goes wrong. And he is the most angry he's ever been before. So I, I like to, you know, to <laughs> go with the highs and the lows of the character. <laughs> and, and so the, basically the ending of issue 36 leads right into Devil's Reign, which sees Wilson Fisk finally using his powers as the mayor to make the lives of all the superheroes uh, hell. And it's all Daredevil's fault because it has to be Daredevil's fault. Yeah. And who's... Uh... Yeah, sure. Relatable. <laughs> Relatable. Yeah. Who are you on Devil's Reign with? Who's who's your artist on Devil's Reign? The greatest artist I've ever worked with, our Daredevil artist, uh, Marco Cicciato. He's just unbelievably good. And he just keeps getting better. When this opportunity kind of came up to expand the story and really make it a Marvel Universe story... Marco got really excited because now he gets to draw everyone, right? Like he gets to draw like Iron Man, Captain America, Doc Ock, which he does an amazing Doc Ock, Jessica Jones, uh, Fantastic Four, like, and every every character he touches is kind of redefined by him. Like it's it's really incredible to see his work on the page. Wow, that's very high praise. But he's awesome. Yeah, no, he's he's unbelievable and. He's just so dedicated to the book as well. Like, you know, he's been with us since issue one. You know, we've had fill-in artists just because of scheduling, but there's editors of Marvel. I'm not going to name them, but they they just keep going like, oh, Marco, wouldn't you like to work on this instead? And he's like, no, I love Chip. I love Daredevil. I'm staying. <laughs> Something seems suspicious there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which part, though? Which part? <laughs> well, we don't want to get too much into spoilers. Um, some of the things that mm-hmm. have been happening in the book that we did want to just touch on real quick. In case anybody hasn't been caught up, everybody can read the, gosh, 33 or 34 issues on Marvel Unlimited right now. Oh um, check yeah. out the trades. Yeah. But, like, right now... Matt's in jail. Electra's Daredevil. That's some wild stuff. It's a lot of fun, and it's some harrowing, intense comics. So it's it's really cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, it's been really a joy to write, and Electra's Daredevil especially has been surprisingly fun to do. And I'm I'm over the moon with the kind of the fan reaction to it as well because we we managed to keep it a secret until like the day it went on sale, which is just unheard of in comics. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased with that. It was really amazing to to see the reaction. It was also really fun to be on the inside and they'd be like, hey, guess what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, what? like, you know, there were a lot of discussions about how to tease it out and stuff. And, you know, maybe we'll do a little campaign where it's like, who's the new Daredevil and like silhouettes and, you know, all that jazz. I'm just like, no, like we do that a lot. But like there's really something special to the idea of somebody walking to the comic shop, picking up Daredevil, the book they read every month and just reading it as is, not knowing, and then hitting that page and be like, oh, wow, like, unexpected, but makes sense in the context of the story. I mean, in comics, we tend to spoil the surprises in order to get the orders on the books really high, right? Like, you know, of course you're going to want to, like, oh, there's a new Spider-Man. Okay, of course you're going to want to, like, get people excited for that, get the orders up, but something gets a little bit lost. To be able to get back to that, at least for an issue or two, was, I think, really satisfying for everyone. Well, as folks might want to look into Daredevil, obviously they should go read every issue of Daredevil you've written, but are there any other favorite Daredevil runs of all time? Well, I mean, the uh, Anne Nascenti, John Romita Jr. Yeah. Uh, run is, I think, the, the high mark in comics, frankly. Following Frank Miller, too. People forget that Anne followed like, <laughs> the run on Daredevil and just went, all right, let's just do something different. Just some wild, wild stuff in there. And it's gorgeous. I think it's John Mita Jr.'s best work. And like with Al Williamson inks. Oh, mm, beautiful. It's beautiful. 
So I, I always recommend people go check that run out. I mean, there's the obvious, you know, the Brubaker and the Bendis run. But yeah, the Nocenti Darmida Jr. run just doesn't get the kind of the praise and the spotlight I think it deserves. Well said. And uh, I believe your run will land in that hollowed ground as well. Whenever you finish, never finish. You're not allowed. You're going to stay here and write Daredevil for the next 40 years if all goes well. And so we'll be talking to you every month from now on for the next 40 years. Thanks so much for taking this call. The first of, I don't know, a couple hundred, Chip. We'll talk to you soon. Let me just add, I'm done being self-deprecating. You're right. My run is going to the hallowed halls. I am, I think I'm the greatest Daredevil writer of all time. That was very American, and we loved it. Uh, you know, I tried. <laughs> it it hurt, hurt my soul a bit to do it, but I did it. Thank you so much, Chip. Have a great day. And uh, thank you, Jenny Huang, for that lovely note. Yeah, and October 15th, as we mentioned, is White Cane Day, but also in my family, it's family day Aww. because it's the day we brought Catherine home. So as you're listening to this, we're probably at the aquarium or have come back from the aquarium or have fallen into a, some giant fish tank at the aquarium. Uh, please don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, Stay safe. Have fun. One never knows when you have a two-year-old running around. Everything's possible. All right, let's keep this train rolling. We just talked to Chip Zdarsky, and he is the writer of Devil's Reign. We talked about that. But over on Marvel.com, there's going to have a whole bunch more stuff about Devil's Reign. There's a Devil's Reign roundup, cover reveal for the third issue, a checklist of all the books that are tying into it. So... Get up in Devil's Reign and then go tell Chip that you love him and wish him a belated, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Ah, uh, butter tarts for all. All right, let's keep it rolling with the comics goodness. We saw a new announcement for Silver Surfer Rebirth number one, and this is very cool. Legendary creators Ron Mars and Ron Lim are returning to tell a story set during their fan favorite run of Silver Surfer. Somebody's stolen the reality gem, so you never know what's going to happen. Reality's going to be flexible. Really excited to check this out. And what a fun opportunity for fans to go back. Definitely go read this run if you haven't done it already. So go check that out and then get ready to read this when it comes out in a few months. Ron Lim is like my definitive Silver mm -hmm. Surfer artist. So seeing this cover and seeing him come back on here for this project with Ron Mars, who did a great run after Jim Starlin's run. So good. Very exciting. Also, Lorraine, are you ready for the release? Which is, I guess, already out now. Marvel Meow is out. Meow. What? The... Yeah, Marvel Meow. Remember the covers or the images oh, we had, the little comics yeah. we did by Meow Fuji? Mm -hmm. They were up on Marvel social pages, on Instagram and stuff like that. It was a collaboration between Marvel and Viz. Oh. And now they put together a collection of these comics along with new material. So it's Marvel characters and cats and it's pretty much perfection. So this is like a, a gift book. It's, it's going to be perfect for the gifting season as it comes up. But it's called Marvel Meow, collaboration between Marvel and Viz. It's great. It's really wonderful. It's super cute. Get it for yourself. Aww. Get it for your loved ones. Another great collaboration we at Marvel are doing is with Penguin because Penguin Classics is collaborating with Marvel Comics to publish the Penguin Classics Marvel Collection, which is really cool. It's the first time comics have ever been published by Penguin Classics, and it's going to have some really great classic Marvel comic stories from Black Panther, Captain America, and The Amazing Spider-Man alongside some forwards by contemporary authors. And this is really cool. Detailed scholarly introductions to provide 
provide context to the significance of these characters and stories. So it's really looking at them from a, an excellent lens. I'm very excited for these. These will be out in June of 2022. That is so wonderful, but let's head on over to Marvel Games Land. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy has a new launch trailer out, which is amazing because the game is coming out in just a couple weeks. I'm so excited to play this game. Also, they released that adorable teaser image of Cosmo and the little puppies. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we got to talk about that last week. There was a whole great behind-the-scenes featurette about the dog actor who plays Cosmo and then they showed off that Cosmo has puppies he's a, he's a doggy daddy it's so great and there was a great little collaboration between We Rate Dogs yeah. and the game we deserve this we've been through so much yes. in the last couple of years we deserve to have Cosmo and puppies thank you shout out to the producer of the game Eric Monticelli in front of a show he's a huge dog guy and he's been trying to get do something with We Rate Dogs for a while and it feels like the culmination of of years of work and it's it's fantastic of course you can pre-order marvel's guardians of the galaxy right now it is coming out october 26th to ps4 ps5 xbox one xbox series xs pc and streaming via geforce now and then marvel's guardians of the galaxy will also have a cloud version for nintendo switch on october 26th oh While we're talking about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, there's a really cool connection between that game and Marvel Puzzle Quest because Gamora, who is inspired by Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy game, is making her way into the fight in Marvel Puzzle Quest. Eidos Montreal, who is making the new Guardians game, has teamed up with developers Demiurge and D3Go, who work on Marvel Puzzle Quest, to bring that Gamora to Marvel Puzzle Quest. I love this kind of stuff. I love seeing the game versions crossing over into different things. Kudos to everybody who made this happen. That is friggin' awesome. Heck yeah. Also, Anti-Venom is now available in Marvel Contest of Champions. Eddie Brock separated from the Venom symbiote, had cancer, which was cured by Martin Lee, aka the alter ego of the supervillain Mr. Negative. But unbeknownst to Lee, those healing powers fused with the remnants of the symbiote in Eddie's body, and it created this new mindless symbiote called the Anti-Venom. He's Venom's color scheme inside out. He is a big bad boy, and he's now available in Marvel Contest of Champions, which is so fun. One more games-related thing. Over on the Sony YouTube channel, you can check out a three-part series of videos about building Miles Mm -hmm. Morales' world, which is really, really cool. It's diving into Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, the PlayStation video game, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the amazing animated film. It's a really cool conversation about the creative journeys bringing Miles Morales to life on the screen. It even includes our pal Saladin Ahmed, the writer of the Miles Morales comic books. And uh, it's really neat. You should all go check it out. Yeah. I thought it was really awesome that Lord and Miller were in it as well. It was just like a really cool conversation about so many people who work with the Miles character. It was really awesome. All right. One last thing I wanted to shout out to y'all is that I started doing some stuff with my little Catherine Grace. I bought a little ring light that sits on the floor and we were going to do some unboxings. Catherine and I, she helped me unbox this really great giant box of Marvel classic blacklight posters from Abrams Books. I know you got a set. They're Mm -hmm. really, really great. And so she helped me show them off. Those go on sale November 16th. They're really wonderful. They're just like classic Gene Colan, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby art done in blacklight style. They're huge, perfect for framing up or even getting command strips, the the Mm, poster ones. You could put them up that way and it won't hurt them. 
really, really cool. So Catherine and I did those. At one point, she was showing them off. She's going, ooh, wow, and then throwing it on the floor and then stomping on it, which... Stressful. What are you going to do? I mean, also, yes, she's a small baby. What are you going to do? We're also planning, by the time everybody's listening to this, I will hopefully have put up the unboxing of the Marvel Legends HasLab Sentinel that she and I will do, which is... That's going to be stressful because she likes to break things, but it's going to be a lot of fun. That big boy is almost as large as her. It's going to be fun. So check those out. Those are going to be up on my social pages at Agent M on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. So I think those will be really fun. Ooh. Ooh. And who do we have on our interview segment? (laughs) As promised, we have editor-in-chief of Fangoria Phil Noble Jr. And digital editor Angel Melanson. <laughs> I can't do that voice anymore. We, we, we talk about Fangoria's history, lots of horror talk and stuff like that. And then obviously the Marvel horror connections and all kinds of stuff. So it was a really fun chat. Great magazine. And definitely if you're in the spirit for Halloween, this is going to be a perfect one for you. So check it out. All right, we've got two of our Fango friends here. Hello, Angel. Hello. Thanks for having me. And uh, welcome, Phil. Thanks so much for being on with us. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting to be here. What was your Marvel origin story? What was the first way you encountered Marvel characters, comics, movies, cartoons? Phil, what was it for you? You know, I definitely remember the little plastic fellows on my birthday cakes as a child, the cake toppers. <laughs> the big one that I wish I still had was my Spider-Man Halloween costume, that Ben Cooper oh. vinyl had a lot of yellow in it for so I didn't get run over, oh, I yeah. guess, <laughs> as a child with that real hard plastic <laughs> that would cut your mouth. That was my first sort of memories of, of Marvel, but probably Electro Company as well. Spider-Man's wordless appearance oh, on yeah. the Electro Company back mm-hmm. in the day. That's a good one. How about you, Angel? You know what? My dad is an artist, so he had this book of like how to draw Marvel characters. And I just remember like can so vividly picture the cover of that. And that's such like a vivid piece of my childhood. It was just always around the house. And I remember flipping through that. And I think that was probably my very first introduction to at least the characters. That's awesome. Of course, y'all come in with with all the horror knowledge. We're going to dig into that. But over here at Marvel, you know, we have tons of really cool horror characters and stories. Are there any specific Marvel horror characters that y'all are familiar with or excited about or have fondness for? I had a, a dalliance with the horror comics of the, I guess it would maybe be the Bronze Age of Marvel Comics. So somewhere in this house is a complete run of Tomb of Dracula. I remember Monster of Frankenstein and Werewolf by Night. Those were a lot of fun. And the sort of the soapy plots that they had were, you know, like Dracula was a straight up serial. And it was it was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. to sort of follow that story. And Gene Collins art was super, super uh, impactful to see. And it still is. It's just beautiful art. It's maybe my favorite era of comics. As a werewolf fan, Werewolf by Night, I was really drawn in by the art. Like that particular art style is like what I tend to gravitate towards. And I like werewolves. So Werewolf by Night was a cool one. And also Crypt of Shadows. I also had old like EC comics laying around. So Crypt of Shadows was like Marvel's answer to that, which I thought was cool. I love those black and white Tomb of Dragula comics are so (laughs) sick. They're so cool. Now... For Fangoria, obviously, it's really iconic in the horror scene. But for anybody who's not 
really experienced in the Fango world yet. What is Fangoria and what do you guys both work on for the magazine? What is Fangoria? That's what we start our weekly meeting with every week. (laughs) (laughs) So Fangoria is a 42-year-old magazine that was started in 1979 by O'Quinn Studios, who comic fans would know this publisher behind Starlog and Comic Scene back in the day. And Fangoria originally was called Fantastica. If you looked in the ads for Starlog, they'd say, a new magazine's coming, it's Fantastica, and it's got monsters and Doctor Who and all this other stuff, and somebody threatened to sue them somewhere in there, so that the next <laughs> issue it was suddenly Fangoria, which I can only sort of archaeologically guess was some sort of bastardization of Phantasmagoria, and Phantasmagoria wouldn't fit on a masthead, so <laughs> Fangoria. <laughs> so in our first issue, it had Saturday morning cartoons and Doctor Who and all all kinds of genre stuff. But there was an article about Tom Savini's makeup effects in Dawn of the Dead in issue one, and it exploded. Everybody, all the fan reaction was about that article. And so by issue, I want to say seven, eight, or nine, the publishers and the editors realized what was clicking and leaned fully into the horror and the gore stuff. And then the Fangoria that, that most people know about came into existence around Fangoria number nine. It was the horror magazine. There are so many now, so many great horror magazines right now. But for a lot of kids from my generation, Fangoria was the only place to learn about horror. And it was obviously Mm -hmm. pre-internet. You had to go find it, hunt it down, hide it under your mattress. Your parents wouldn't throw it away. And somehow in 42 years, we've become this weird institution that people have a lot of affection and fondness for. So we are here to capitalize on that and share in the joy. And what do you guys both do at Fangoria? Well, I'm the editor-in-chief of the magazine. So the magazine is my main... um, I was going to say headache. I shouldn't say that, right? Uh, <laughs> Edit that out. Yes. No, leave it in. Your main let the, joy. Let the people know. The, the magazine is is, uh, is my baby, and, and it, we publish it now four times a year. We sort of reinvented what, what a magazine needs to be in 2020 or 2021. So it's a little different. It's a 100-page quarterly issue that comes out in January, April, July, and October. When we first relaunched it, we really leaned into the analog of it all. So there's no Kindle version. The articles aren't going to live online. And the part of that gimmick was we didn't have a website. We didn't have any of that stuff. And we've evolved the approach since then. And now there is a website and there is a robust social media presence. And Angel is the captain of those particular ships. Yes. Luckily, we do have a website now or else I would not be here. So. (laughs) But Angel runs our, all of our digital content, our YouTube stuff, our social media presences. She's the, the future of the brand over there. What an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well done. You know, when you, you talk about Fangoria and the history and I close my eyes and I can remember having issues with the film strip on the side and the great covers. Do you have any favorites from either, you know, just being a fan of the magazine or from your tenure? Hmm. I should send you some of the hate mail we get when we don't put the film strip on the cover. That's a real fun week. <laughs> Let me tell you, people love that damn film strip. It's nostalgia. It's nostalgia. It's like for us, we have the corner boxes for Marvel. Yeah. We don't do them right now, except in special cases. But when we do them, people lose their minds because it evokes a very specific feeling for them. So I totally understand it. Yeah. And I respect that feeling, but I also have to like sort of every month or so tell somebody, listen, the Fango you remember was not a nostalgia rag. It was about what's happening right now. So I can't be famous monsters for you. I've got to lean forward a little bit. So it's a lot of push and pull with nostalgia and and trying to drag the brand into the 21st century. But favorite covers to me, one of my favorite covers, one of my first covers is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And it's like right from the 1980s. And that cover has like fuchsia and purple and pink on it it's a very 
gaudy, garish cover that probably would get an art director fired today. But something <laughs> about the, uh, it just works for me. And it's just a very pleasing, like I, my dream is to maybe do a room and use that cover as my inspiration in terms of the paints on the walls and whatnot. I think it just, it's just my happy spot. But there's been so many great covers. And since our run, sometimes we'll commission an illustration, like Gary Pullen is an artist who did a beautiful painting of Mary Lou from Prom Night 2 for us this year. It's one of my favorite covers. I've rather obnoxiously stuck myself on the cover in issue two, where Joe Bob Briggs need to be surrounded by zombies. So I have a lot of affection for that cover. I'm one of, I'm one of the zombies drooling over Joe Bob. But Angel, Angel, Angel might have different answers for what a favorite cover is of hers. You know what? Motel Hell is one of my absolute favorite covers just because that movie is so special to me and just so wild and bonkers. And to see it on a magazine cover was wild. <laughs> and that shot too, like that's just such an iconic shot. Like the pig head, you can't get that out of your head once you see it. You know, you have nightmares about that your whole life. But Hello, Mary Lou was a favorite one. And I'm very biased. The Halloween Kills cover that's the first one that I got to actually write for and it's a beautiful cover so that one is going to like have a special place in my heart forever for sure <laughs> you've gotten to do so many cool things from like every film ever it feels like you guys have gotten to cover such a wide berth of stuff do you have any moments that were just like oh yeah this is like a career defining moment or this is one of those interviews that I've always wanted to do like for me I asked Stanley if he would hug me but you know like those moments where you're like what I do is really cool well the, the stock answer I give I'm telling you up front the stock answer is that Barbara Crampton texts me on my birthday that's the coolest thing ever oh. every birthday I get a little text from Barbara Crampton this this woman that I crushed on all through my teen years it's it's delightful but no I don't know that there's any singular moment because there's a twofold thing about running Fango when we're running Fango horror has been legitimized in the last two years in a way that it maybe never has been Peel winning Oscars Guillermo winning an Oscar for Shape of Water I think that we are lucky to be writing about horror in the time that we are but as far as like a stan lee moment sadly a lot of my heroes have passed and have passed just before we started up fango again toby hooper is gone george romero is gone and i did have the privilege of saying hello to those folks and meeting them before my fango years but i don't get the chance to sort of celebrate them while they're here so that's kind of rough and in a way it makes the job a little more somber because we are now custodians of their legacy to some degree mm. So I'm very, I'm very friendly with the George Romero Foundation and I'm very available to them for whenever they need us to help them with something or, or, or they want to talk to us about something. That's sort of the weird next step of horror fandom is sort of how do we keep these folks' memories alive and keep their work sort of in the eye? But at the same time, as I said earlier, I don't want to be a nostalgia rag. So I don't want to just be writing this hundredth article about Night of the Living Dead. We have to come up with new things to talk about with these things we love, new ways to approach them. And so... I think maybe once every issue or once every other issue, I'm able to find that angle and find something to say about a film that maybe hasn't been said a dozen times already. It does loom over everything. The fact that our giants are kind of passing, but I also don't want to miss the new giants while I'm dwelling on the old guys. There's some amazing stuff happening right now in horror and we get to be present for it if we choose to be. Angel, what about you? You know what? I have those moments all the time, almost every day where I'm just like, oh my God, this is my job. That's wild. I kind of try to like pause, you know, for 30 to 60 seconds each day to just kind of, yeah, freak out about it. This is cool. Like you want, you waited your entire life for this, like just nerd out and appreciate it. And like, you don't have to be like, oh, this is cool. This is regular. It's not regular. Like you wanted this forever. So like Fantastic Fest kept happening over and over. There was one day where I first thing in the morning, I did an interview for Lamb. 
And then I went to do straight from that an interview for She Will. And Malcolm McDowell is in that. And I've dressed as Alex so many times for Halloween. And now I'm just like interviewing you. And I sat down. And he was like, oh, great hair. Oh, you're well put together, babe. And I was like, this is wild. Like, this is actually happening right now. Like, I'm never going to get over this day. Like, how am I going to top this? But then whenever I feel like I'm never going to top that day, something else cool happens. So I just get to do cool stuff all the time. And I'm super grateful. And I just try to just like exude gratitude for all this cool stuff that I get to do. That's awesome. And Angel, you guys have a podcast network over there. What, what are some of the podcasts from Fangoria? Colors of the Dark, and we have the King Cast. I got to go to two live shows relatively back-to-back for both of those, which is really cool to get to go and like see them in person now that that's coming back. So King Cast did a really cool one at Fantastic Fest where they showed this wild reworking of uh, the Langoliers. Yeah, it was called Timekeepers of Eternity. And the guy, he's a Greek filmmaker who printed every frame of the movie onto a piece of paper and then reanimated the film by shooting the paper, crumpling the paper as it was happening, mercifully cut it down from a miniseries to an hour long thing. <laughs> and then the guys who run the King cast, Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi, zoomed in Bronson Pinchot, who is the star of that movie or the villain of that movie. And that filmmaker who spent three years staring at Bronson's photocopied face got to have a Zoom conversation with him and with the podcast in front of an audience. And that's just sort of the the fun, crazy energy of the King cast, whereas Colors of the Dark is a little more scholarly. And it's Elric Kane and Rebecca McKendry who really know their stuff. And they do deeper dives on horror titles that you might not know about. They're the hardcore horror nerds. And Scott and Eric are sort of like the, how do I say this without... They're like the letter Kenny of horror. <laughs> Does that, is that, you, okay? that has a lot of meaning to uh, us. <laughs> we have nothing but love for letter Kenny and anything letter Kenny ish. You, you know, I think one of the huge things that horror talks about now is gatekeeping and like you can't be part of horror and you don't know your stuff and you don't have the tattoos. I think Scott and Eric, what they do is low key essential because it's so accessible and it's so not gatekeepery. It's just celebrating and waving in and not excluding. There's that phrase when it comes to horror, everyone screams in the same language. What do you guys feel like makes horror so universal? Because it seems like that's something that Fangoria always really embraces in their content. Well, I feel like fear is a universal Mm -hmm. thing. You You know what I mean? It's very personal. One of the questions I hate is when somebody asks me for a scary movie, like something that's going to scare them. And I'm like, Well, if I don't know more about you and what scares you, it's not going to be the same thing that scared the absolute crap out of me. So that's a hard question. But fear itself is a universal thing. And it's fun. It's like comedy. You know, it's like the flip side of that. There's these very primal things. And there's certain things that kind of, generally speaking, scare all of us. So when there's certain movies or themes that kind of prey upon those fears... It's kind of a universal thing and we can all share in that and it's a shared experience. And there's nothing like sitting in a theater full of people. Like I was so glad that I got to do this again. A theater full of people watching a horror film, but they're fans Mm -hmm. of it, you know, and just that energy that that exudes. That's a communal experience and it's amazing. Man, one of the best feelings on the planet is when somebody really gets you like a movie or or whatever really scares the crap out of you and you really jump and then like the release of laughter or uh-huh. <laughs> relaxation that comes after like, Whew, okay, it got me. It got me. <laughs> that rush of endorphins yeah. afterwards. Oh, yes. it's the best. <laughs> it's like addictive. <laughs> I found lately that there's a binary to it. There's people that go to horror because it's their happy place and it's their cozy place. And those folks are more likely to engage in nostalgia or maybe a horror comedy. I've been that person and I am that person. As a kid, I would play Phantom of the Paradise, the VHS, like a record. It was familiar and comforting and it was my favorite thing. But 
there's other folks who come to horror to be confronted and to confront things in themselves and to put themselves through a serious experience. One of Romero's lines that I always parrot back to people is that there's the horror that's a ride and it takes you on a little ride to put you where it found you. And there's horror that upturns the apple cart. And that stuff is a lot more confrontational and, and revolutionary. That's the horror that I think is getting etched into the history books. Night of the Living Dead, Get Out, Rosemary's Baby, that horror that leaves a mark on you is profoundly impactful on people. And there are folks who are down for that experience and there are folks who are not. But I think the cool thing about horror is that it does cover such a spectrum of stuff. It doesn't have to just be punishing an extreme and can you take it? There's something for everyone in horror. And Tim Burton, I think, was a huge part of that in terms of sort of mainstreaming the elements of horror and the tropes of horror. Once Beetlejuice hit and once Edward Scissorhands hit, suddenly horror had like a comforting, emotional, Disney-approved kind of energy <laughs> to it. Is that okay to say? And that waved in so many more people into you know a space that they might have felt trepidatious about. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, this is kind of like your Comic-Con because we are in October. It is the month of Halloween. I appreciate that you guys even made time for us because I know this is a very busy time, I'm sure, for you guys. But what have you guys got in store for Halloween this year with Fangoria? What should people be looking out for this month's issue? Our fall issue is hitting mailboxes right now, and it's going to be on shelves on October 12th. I tell this all the time, but every issue I try to make better than the last issue in terms of there's some sort of ideal version of Fango in my head that I'm always trying to get that issue to that place. And there's been fits and starts, but this is the closest one. Issue 13 is the closest we've come to like my vision of what the magazine should be. And I'm so excited for it. So we talked about how do we talk about these movies in new ways? And some of that is just new voices. Instead of some jaded journalist going to a set visit, our Halloween story is written by the FX artist on the set of the film who watched the movie when he was nine years old and has been fascinated by Michael Myers since he was nine. And that fascination took him into a career in films and filmmaking and makeup effects. He's won an Oscar. He played the groom in Kill Bill. And he's just an intelligent, perceptive dude who no one has said, hey, why don't you write about this? Mm. And so our cover story is like, that's a point of view and a perspective and an access that no one has tapped into. So I'm super excited about that. I left my house for the first time in a year and change to go to the set of the Belay Brothers' Dragula which is hitting shutter this month. And so that's our yeah. other cover story is my experience on that set and watching them make that show, which I don't know if your viewers are familiar with it, but it is a drag reality competition show that is horror themed. And it is part RuPaul's Drag Race, it's part Jackass. They, they make them do insane <laughs> stuff. I've, I've gagged in my throat watching some of the extreme stuff that they do on that show. Oh yeah, though no, I've watched some of their drag. They're just straight up drag shows too, which are wild. They're Icons. Icons is the word because we talk about horror icons and we talk about our Freddies and our pinheads and whatnot and where are the new horror icons. And, you know, we're seeing swings like we're seeing Babadook and, and Malignant was pretty wild. But like to me, the Belay brothers are horror icons and I wanted to spend time in their orbit. And that's what that story is about. And uh, I'm so excited that they are gracing our cover on newsstands. I'm so excited that I put two drag queens holding a meat cleaver and kissing a severed head on the shelves of Barnes and Noble. This is my yeah. legacy. 
<laughs> I might be able to retire now. But as far as events go, normally, yeah, there's so many conventions and film festivals happening. But this year's like a, feels like a toe in the water kind of thing. We're trying stuff. We, we went to Fantastic Fest and presented the KingCast live. And we're going to go be at the Telluride Horror Show next week, which is nor already normally a very chill fest. So I'm, I'm sort of excited to like reconnect with my fest pals. And Angel's never been to it before, so I'm excited for her to check that out. Some of the stuff that we have planned for online, I want to keep a surprise, but we're, we're excited about some of the stuff that we're dropping on our website and socials this month. Yeah, I won't say specifically like what titles or what guests we have, but I will say that we're visiting film festivals, so we're meeting people that I'm quite excited about and we get to interview them. So we have this Convo Fango series where we get to talk to like filmmakers and just amazing people in the genre. So we have some very cool episodes of that coming up. They're going to be dropping throughout October just because... We're meeting all these amazing people. Where's the best place to check those out and watch those? Fangoria.com will always link to all of that stuff, but it's also all over our socials. It's always posted on IGTV. And then also we have a YouTube. It's just Fangoria. All of our videos are there as well. Nice. It's a lot of my face. I apologize, guys. <laughs> Phil, you mentioned horror icons and stuff like that. Do either of you have specific horror iconic characters or types of characters? You know, it's a are you a vampire person, a zombie person? Is there something for you that just is always going to be the thing that gets you that, that you, you have to see as a fan of, of overall horror for either of you? Oh, gosh. I don't, I don't know that I'm a vampire person or a zombie person. My secret shame is that I... I wait with excitement at the merest mention of any new Texas Chainsaw movie. I drove two hours to see the last one in theaters. I'm a little heartbroken that the next one's going to Netflix because it means that it's the first one in decades that I haven't seen on a big screen. That one just got its hooks in me very, no pun intended, very early. Got into my brain at a very early age and just stayed with me. So that's my forever franchise. What about you, Angel? Do you have a genre or a monster of preference? I'm not really an or girl. I'm more of an and girl. So I'm like, I love vampires and werewolves and zombies <laughs> and witches. <laughs> that probably changes depending on my mood that day, like what I happen to be in the mood for. But I, I like all like classic monster stuff. Those are like my big four. And also like I get down with Scream. Anything Scream related, I'm like so excited for. So I'm real excited for the new Scream movie coming up. Oh man, I need to go back and rewatch all of those. So every October which this year started in September, as did all of my Halloween decor. I watch a horror movie every day for the month of October. And it's something that I've been doing the last year or two, which I really, really enjoy. So I need to know, what are your, obviously, Texas Chainsaw is up there, but what are some of your favorite horror movies that, one, I should watch, and two, that maybe people might have missed that you think are great? This is me just compiling a list. <laughs> <laughs> I had a list of 10 and then it went to like a two-part question that I was like oh no hold on my list is like reorganizing itself I just frantically pulled up my letterbox to try to see what, what the hell I've watched lately <laughs> I'll tell you about a small one that is called The Deeper You Dig and it's made by a family a, a father a mother and a daughter called the Adams Family, no no, no connection. But they live in upstate New York and they just make these little handmade horror films all on their own. They do the score, they film it. If the, if the scene has two people in it, the third one's working the camera. They edit it, they do it all themselves. And it's this, almost like this Galapagos Island effect of a horror film that has no horror movie influences. 
They're just doing their own thing. And it's not for everybody, but you will have never seen anything like it, I promise. And they're they're very sort of weird and, and emotional and, and funny and personal. And they had a new one at festivals this year called Hellbender, but the previous one's called The Deeper You Dig. And I really do recommend that if you just want something that's completely its own flavor. I do. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. That's a solid recommendation. I'm not going to be able to beat that one. It's not a competition. I'll take anything. On top of it, I'm going to tell you, just to keep an eyeball out, it's, I think it's hitting sci-fi in the next week or so, but at this festival, we just watched the remake of Slumber Party Massacre, which is... I was like, don't say it. That's going to be my recommendation. Oh, over to Angel. <laughs> Angel, take it away. Surprise. The new Slumber Party Massacre. Wah, put that on your watch list. <laughs> No, you know what brought me a lot of joy? I, I think more people have come to it now, but when it first came out, not a lot of people had seen it. One Cut of the Dead. Mm. Have you guys seen that one already? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lordy. Oh, my God. Okay, please. One Cut of the Dead. That I'm so excited to recommend this to you. Yeah, go in as blind as possible. Don't look anything up. Done. <laughs> and there's, it's a real trust exercise here. You're going to uh-huh. stick with it for the, at least 25, 30 minutes. Okay. And you're going to wonder what we, what the hell we were talking about, but we implore you to hang in there. It will change your life. Huh. One cut of the, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It sounds exactly like my kind of jam. I'm very excited to watch it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I know Tara Ainsley came in and took over ownership and announced Fangoria Studios. Is there anything that you guys can tell us about Fangoria Studios or give us a little glimpse into the world? No. i don't want to get you in trouble (laughs) yeah honest honestly i'm not sure what i'm allowed to share about that stuff but we did announce that our first film is going to be sort of a remake of a lost malaysian horror film called satora and i know precious little about that even but i know that it is gearing up and we're waiting for the right time to pull the trigger on production just because of what everything is going on with the world, obviously. But in the meantime, if you pick up issue 13, you can read about the film that it's based on, the lost film. We have a pretty cool, like, sort of archaeological dig into the the original film that uh, will set you up as a sort of a primer for for the film that's to come, I think. Excellent. That's a good little sneak peek for not being able to say too much. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Thank you both so much for, for coming on the show, for talking cool horror stuff and a little bit of Marvel. We really appreciate it. Everybody go out and check out Fangoria online and at your local newsstand, bookstore, we can see wherever you get your great magazines. There it is. Both. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, y'all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much again to Phil and to Angel. It was such a pleasure. And of course, you guys can go check out Fangoria at Fangoria.com or on the internet at Fangoria. They're so fun to follow, especially in this spoopy season. Yes, the spoopiest of seasons. And um, we are going to take a little break from the spoopiness next week when we have our guests on the show, three of the members of the Beyond Board for Spider-Man Beyond, the current run of Amazing Spider-Man. We're going to have writer Zeb Wells, writer Kelly Thompson, and writer Cody Ziegler here to talk about Spider-Man's butt at length (laughs) as much as we possibly can. It's not Uh, about Spider-Man's butt, Ryan. But it's beyond not buttocks. <laughs> that was a stretch right there. <laughs> so we're talking with them about the new Spider-Man Beyond storyline, wherein Ben Riley takes over as Spider-Man, both because he forces himself into the position, but also because he needs to, because Peter is kind of sidelined in the storyline. So if you 
dear listener, had the opportunity to take over as Spider-Man for Peter Parker, what would be something you'd do? Would you go, like, I know I would go over, get some donuts, and then go swing over to a very tall building, web myself upside down, and eat the donuts upside down. Because I remember seeing that in a Spider-Man comic when I was a kid and being like, that looks like the coolest thing in the world. Eating donuts upside down a Spider-Man. Not helping people, but eating donuts upside down. I would choke myself. I would be like, (laughs) (laughs) crumbs are going up my nose. I think just like swinging around the city would be pretty cool. Although I'm fairly afraid of heights, so I would probably just crawl up the walls of my house and like put things on the tall shelves that I can't reach. All viable things. I mean, I, I think what we always find when we put out our questions, there are people who have great answers who we don't even think like these things that we don't even think about. So we want to hear from everybody else. What would you do if you got to be a replacement Spider-Man? You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Yeah. So last week we asked y'all, who is your favorite fangy Marvel character as we were getting into the Halloween spirit and you guys had some great answers for us first up we have big homie Thanos at big homie Thanos who said <laughs> it's Blade and it's not even close Morbius is awesome but Blade got a swag to him that little characters in Marvel can match and his movies come on excited for the upcoming movie absolutely wow iconic also just like a who's who of future stars in those films so fun big homie thanos is maybe my favorite twitter yeah it's really good it's really good all right we've got one here from wags at wags 902 which says blade for sure i've always liked vampires but i also never knew any other non-white superheroes when i was in elementary school so it was cool to have a superhero i felt looked more like me the best hell yeah we also have one here from Carter at Shimmy Wise. Blade for sure. The Wesley Snipes Blade movies are what got me into Marvel. Really hyped for the new Blade they're releasing. Love, love, love it. All Blade all the time, please. Yeah. We have one here from Kelsey, but scary, at Islander Scaper, which says, Jubilee, even if it didn't stick. Which I agree. Jubilee, great little vampire run. I dug it. We've got one here from Backpack Garf at J Haas, which says Fangy, quote unquote, is only for vampires, huh? Sincerely, the Serpent Society. No, 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 no. This is a great one. It's not just for vampires. This is what I really dug. You could come in with anything with Fangs. The Serpent Society is a great choice. Look at all those sweet, sweet reptiles. I love it. I also love that the Serpent Society, like some are pretty serpenty. And then others are just like, I'm Black Mamba. I got a name. (laughs) I'm going to put on a purple and yellow costume and just strut around a bit. Yeah, I'm going to dress like a snake. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have a great Halloween name, Mick or Treaterson at B Mikey P, which is just a screen cap of Hell Cow from a Squirrel Girl comic. And it's so great. I love Hell Cow. Bessie the Cow. Bitten by a vampire, is now a vampire cow. She's just a straight up cow with udders and like everything. She's just wearing a cape and she's got fangs, but just like a regular old brown cow with a thirst for blood. Why not? I love her. She's the best. The best. So, so good. 
All right, we've got a tweet in here from our pal, the Kawaii Prince, at Colin J, which says, Favorite vampire in Marvel is Reese. Despite being new, Jed McKay gives us a good sense who she is. She balances Moon Knight out brilliantly. I definitely think she has a lot of potential as a character. And Colin is talking about the character in the brand new Moon Knight series, who is working side by side with Moon Knight, which is a great choice. I'm, I'm super psyched you brought this one to us. Yeah. Next up, we have a Facebook message from Damon Bozer, which says, My favorite vampiric character in Marvel is definitely Morbius. He's just a guy trying to find a cure that he inflicted on himself. And if that means playing the anti-hero, then so be it. Poor Morbius. Morbius did too much science to himself. Don't do science to yourself, dummies. We've got an email here from Evan Tomke, which says, My favorite vampire in Marvel has to be Morbius. He is such a creepy, crawly delight, and every time I see him in the comics, it makes me shiver, but in a good way. And what makes me love him even more is seeing him in the new trailer for Morbius. It makes me even more creeped out by him. Heck yeah, Evan. We just re-released a bonus episode of our show Marvel's Pull List that we did around one of the Morbius comics. So you can check that out if you do not already subscribe to Marvel's Pull List. Check it out. We deep dive into some Morbius comics. Next up, we have an email from Julia Wagner Hideki, which says, Hey, Ryan and Lorraine, to answer the question of the week, I'm not sure if it counts, but to me, the best Fang character is Rocket Raccoon. I know Raccoon's teeth are not often referred to as fangs, but they still have a pair of extra strong, sharp teeth on each side in the exact spot where you'd call a tooth a fang. Plus, Rocket is just as awesome character, so he has to be on the top of my list. If he doesn't count, I choose Fenris, Hela's giant wolfy companion, because he's cool, impressive, and cuddly and warm, and totally not because he's the only two-fanged character I could think of. <laughs> Anyways, I really love Marvel Studios What If and Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings instantly became one of my favorite Marvel movies. I can't wait to see how the rest of Phase 4 plays out. Thanks for doing this podcast. I love listening to y'all and learning about parts of the Marvel multiverse I didn't know before. Without you, I wouldn't have discovered Black Cat, which was an amazing 2020 run. Kind regards, Julia. Yeah, Julia, that's a wonderful note. Glad we turned you on to Black Cat, which has been one of my favorite comics. So, so good. Everybody should go read that on Marvel Unlimited. Julia, we also saw and appreciate your Marvel Studios What If question, but uh, we're not going to answer that because, you know, spoilers. That was a great little spoopy episode all around. Yeah. All right. And that is a wrap. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panago. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Serpent Society. The Serpent Society, shed your second skin with the Serpent Society. Who needs skin when you could be part of the Serpent Society? They're snake people. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.